Hey, Pastor Jeffrey here. Glad you've chosen to listen to our podcast again. If this is your first time listening, this is just um, a way our church makes itself known out in the ethernets, internets, and uh, it usually just has my sermons. I'm Pastor Jeffrey. I've been pastor here for almost eight years. I can't believe it. I've uh, I've kind of started giving my life to this community and also the community of Delaware, which is just six miles north of here. I've been uh, building my own family while I'm here and building up the uh, household of God. I actually really love these churches and this ministry. And uh, I'm very blessed to call myself pastor here and to proclaim God's word every Sunday. It just, uh, I don't know anyone more blessed than me. God is so good. And I get to uh, preach like a broken record every Sunday, the importance of repentance and walking a life of sanctification and the power of God's grace. And I hope that comes through for you as you listen to my preaching today on uh, We Follow the Revised Common Lectionary every week. And, uh, and I love it, and I hope you do too. If you are uh, moved to support the churches that I serve, I'd invite you to go to our website, nowatamethodists.org, and you can learn a lot about us there. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. We are all over the place. We have a pretty pretty dynamic ministry. I feel really good about the work that we do. So anyway, uh, if nothing else, let my meditations on the scripture stir your spirit and spend some time in prayer for... Christ's Holy Church, especially that in Nowata and Delaware. Thank you so much for your support. Alrighty, bye. Welcome to the Nowata Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit as the scriptures are read and your words proclaimed. We may hear, receive, and understand with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 36 through 41, which you can find on page 1530 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This is the word of God.
mix up from uh, a little after we left off last week. Last week we had, a couple weeks ago we had the story of the Pentecost. No, it was last week when the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles and they started speaking in languages that they hadn't previously known and they spilled out into the streets and people said, this is crazy, they must be drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, we're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Joel that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And then he gives a long speech talking about God's miraculous works through history. And we just got the very end of that where he says God fulfilled his promises by sending his only son, Christ Jesus. And let's remind ourselves, he says, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus. Who remembers what Jesus' name means? Savior or salvation. All right, grown-ups, you got to keep up with the kids here, all right? Savior or salvation. Yeshua means Savior or salvation. He hath made this same Jesus, salvation, whom you crucified. Well, it would have been y'all. Uh, it's second person plural. Y'all crucified him, hath made him both Lord. What does Lord mean? Boss. He's the one in charge of everything. He's boss of heaven and earth. Made him both Lord and Christ. What does Christ mean? Jesus means Savior, anointed one. Very good. Christos is where we get Christ. That's the Greek version of the Hebrew Mashiach, Messiah. So Messiah, Christ, means anointed one. So Jesus' last name was not Christ. He didn't have a last name. He was Jesus, son of jo uh, uh, Joseph. I know Joseph. Thank you. Here, Susie's already, like, doing her mother. Her mother used to film in my blanks, but her mother's too far away, so now Susie's got me. Let me, do, do, let me take a, a quick camp out to the side here. Susanna's obviously a remarkable young lady in, in many ways, and you're going to commit with me not to help her get a big head, right? So y'all aren't going to be coming up to her all the time and going, oh, you're so smart in all the ways. You're just going to be saying, God bless you, but... We got to tamp down on, you know, some people, she's like me, got to tamp us down a little bit, okay? So that's how we show love. But Susie, I'm going to brag on her now. She, uh, she's been seeing her mother. Y'all were here last week. You saw Sarah Beth said she's been reading the Bible every day for two years. She covers a lot of territory. It's been wonderful for her. Well, Susie's taken note, and she started reading the Bible on her own as well. And I said, hey, you know, start in the New Testament. It's easier. And she said, no. She started at Genesis. Easy enough to make its way through Exodus, she gets into. If you've read Exodus before, you know the first half is easy, and then it gets into here's how to build the tabernacle, and here's all the things you need, and you place them here, and you make them out of all this. And these, She powered through Exodus, through Leviticus, through Numbers. She's, uh, have you finished Deuteronomy yet? One more chapter in Deuteronomy, okay, and then we're on to Joshua. And then this morning, you know, Sarah Beth's saying, can we let her read Joshua? Because that is a rated R book. Lots of blood and guts and nastiness. I'm going, oh, okay. And she's, and she's just sat, sitting back there going, Joshua was the one whom God commissioned after Moses. And he went into the promised land instead of Moses, and God went with him. And I'm going, all right, yeah. Who are you, you know? <laughs> but the reason I bring that up, it's partly, it's not really to brag on her. We live in an age that tells us that it, you have to make things interesting for kids in order for them to pay attention. And I think that's a lie from the evil one. I think the things that we're talking about here are innately interesting. They are innately interesting. And sure, you have to work a little bit for it, 
But that's like anything else in life. And sure, we've had kids that come in here and are not interested at all, and they're bouncing off the walls. We've also had other kids that have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they love what we're doing here. And even when they don't understand it, they're looking around and they're watching you, and they are drawn to God because you are. And I think what, one of the things that I'm just increasingly convicted of as a pastor is we're not here to entertain people who are not drawn to God's word. We're here to draw people to God's word, and that's it. And if they're not drawn, they don't belong here. And so there are, there are grown-ups that, that are coming, and they're drawn to God, and guess what? Their kids are too. Their kids need to walk with them. And so we're going to equip them. And not every Sunday is going to be a home-run Sunday. Sometimes kids just are not going to be interested, and we've got nursery workers for that. We, that's just fine. But I'm going to tell you what we're going to see if we continue to incorporate kids in the body of Christ in our worship. You know, we baptize them, and then a lot of churches just send them away to children's time. I don't like doing that. What we're going to find if we continue to incorporate them in Sunday morning is that they are going to know a lot of things. And as, as I'm calling out questions, you're going to hear more and more kids. Did you hear? It wasn't just Susie who answered, what did Jesus mean? It was like three kids. Even Jesse got it? Look at that. That's crazy. So anyway, Jesse's mine too, so that doesn't count. But you're going to hear more and more young voices. There are going to be adults who went, Gee, I didn't think I, uh, I didn't get this when I was a kid. And the thing is, oh, okay, I'm going to keep going. Sunday school only began 120 years ago. It was a new thing in the church. And Sunday school has been shown to, from generation to generation, have gotten dumber and dumber and dumber. And we've expected less and less of our kids. And we've gotten a more and more scripturally illiter illiterate generation year after year. And I know that offends some people. They have fond memories of Sunday school and all that. And I don't like offending people. But it's the truth. You get what you expect out of people. We've expected this down here of kids. Kids can meet this standard. They can. Uh, so, yes, Susie's special in some ways. She's not special in that way. Christ died for everybody. And everybody at all ages can be drawn to him. Now, it's not always going to look the same. But everybody has a place in here. And I know I'm pushing against the, I remember my first Sunday here, I was pushing against the culture in that way. And people were going, I want to love you, but I don't really like you right now. You're pushing against my culture here. Just keep watching. Just keep praying for these kids. Keep encouraging them in their faith. And you know what? If you read your Bibles too, and you say prayer too, and you're engaged spiritually too, well, that's going to have an impact on the kids who worship with you as well. And I'm going to keep going. In every culture, one of the things that sociologists have noticed is when adults speak with kids, very quickly adults assess how well the child speaks, and then they use words just a little bit harder with the kid to try and teach them to think a little bit more deeply. This is something that adults and children naturally do. Parents, not just parents, all adults, our role socially is to raise children together. And especially in the church, we are raising children to be born-again believers. That's not something you magically know. That's something you see lived out and modeled by other adults who can take your hand and say, let me show you how. This is the community of saints. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're reading the scriptures. We're hearing God's word. We're obeying God's word. We're living God's word together. We're getting on our knees and praying together. We're singing God's hymns together. 
We're modeling all this for our kids. Even when my faith is weak, I have to model that for my kids so they can be stronger than their weak father. And I appreciate all of y'all doing that with me. You've been helping me raise my kids. I've had four of them so far. I, Sarah Beth has had four kids so far that I've been privileged to father, and you've helped me raise them well. As you see my kids get scripturally literate and mature, you guys get to take credit for that too, and I want to thank you for bearing with me and my kids because it hasn't always been easy, has it? But it's a blessed thing. Let's hop back into our scripture here. He convicts them of killing the Christ. And what is their response? They say, how can we be saved? Let me ask you a question. We're going to come back to this with our final reading today. If you, insist, if you insult people today or accuse them of having done bad things today, are they prone to listen to you? Not at all. We have a very thin-skinned, sensitive, narcissistic culture that we are trying to minister to. Now, does that mean that we never say anything bad to them? It can't be that. The good news is only good when you understand the bad, and they don't receive the bad until they understand that they are dead in their sins without Jesus. We live in a uniquely difficult time to minister to people where they have been inoculated against the gospel, where they will not hear a hard word. They, need, they require you to affirm them before you can tell them their business. And the thing is, they never want you to tell them their business. We have to tell it to them anyway. That's what Peter did. The Holy Spirit moved. Thousands were converted. And then uh, when they say, what can be done? Peter says, repent. What does repent mean? It means turn from your sinful lifestyle. It doesn't just mean confess your sins and be convicted. It means live differently. Be transformed. You're going one way. Go this way. You're born in your sins. Be born again. Repent. Receive baptism. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let's be very clear. There's only one thing that saves us, and it's faith in Jesus Christ, right? But when we receive that faith, the very first thing we want to do is repent, right? And when we have repented, and we've been justified in Christ Jesus, and his atoning blood has been applied to our hearts, then we want to be baptized. That is, I mean, Jesus and the Great Commission said, go into the, all the world baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter is following this biblical blueprint. And what are we doing? It's not baptism that saves. What does baptism do if it doesn't save people? It initiates people into the church. The Jews had circumcision. Christians have baptism. That's what, so when you encounter someone who's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you bring them into church membership. And that's not membership with a building. That's membership with a family. This is how Jesus looked at it. He talked about the church as a family. The assembled body of believers are supposed to be saints. We're going to talk about this in 1 Peter today. We are the Jesus, whenever he talked about his family, remember at one point, rumors started going around that he was possessed by a demon, right? And his mother and his brothers, they're embarrassed for him. They come to collect him, and he's in the middle of teaching, and they say, uh, Master, your mother and brothers are outside to collect you. And he says, Who is my mother and brothers and sisters? The inference is it's not them out there. He says, it's anyone who hears and obeys my father. That is my mother or brother or sisters. That's who we're supposed to be. So we, in order to become that people, the entry point to that is baptism. 
Baptism, which symbolically represents the new birth that we have in Christ Jesus. We, you must be born again to enter the kingdom. That happens when you receive faith. So, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There is no salvation outside of the Holy Spirit's presence in your heart, which cries, Abba, Father, which tells you that you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit is what enables you to repent. I shouldn't have said what he is who enables you to repent and be transformed in the renewing of your minds. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. All these things are connected. People want to separate things out because they don't want to listen. People will say, oh, I only need faith to be saved, faith alone. Well, if you don't repent, you don't want to be baptized, and you don't walk in the Spirit, then you don't have faith. The faith of Jesus Christ always evidences itself in this way. People get real tripped up over this. So, yeah, we'll have hypothetical conversations. Oh, somebody can be saved without being baptized. Okay, maybe, hypothetically. I mean, Jesus can save anybody, right? You know, hypothetically, someone can be selling meth to kids and still be saved. You know, hypothetically, we can talk about all kinds of crazy scenarios. But why would someone be purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ and not want to be baptized? That just doesn't make any sense. Why would someone be forgiven of all their sins and not want to repent? That's just, that makes no sense biblically. We live in this crazy time where people just want to simplify things, and they're not simple. They require all of us. And so that's why this was written down for us and for our benefit. We who have the, 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 the we hang that in the middle of sanctuaries to remind us that we are born in sin, guilty of his death on the cross, but because of what he did, we can die to sin and be born again in him. And that's needed. Outside of being born again in Christ Jesus, the guilt of killing him of all of our sins still weighs upon us, and we are the community that has been freed from sins. And the whole Bible was written so that we would understand what that means and the claim it has on our lives. So we're going to have a few more readings today that point us in that direction. But the key thing that I need to really keep hammering home is all of this has been written down for a response of transformed lives on our part. If we are persisting in unrepentant sin, then we are not saved. I'm not saying that you can't ever sin again. I am saying that there will perpetually be sorrow in your heart every time you sin if you are in Christ Jesus. You will be moved to repent. You will be moved to be baptized if you haven't been baptized yet. You will be moved to walk in the ways of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's not the faith of Jesus Christ we're talking about. Remember, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, doesn't he? And there are a lot of people who think they love Jesus, but they actually love something else. And the only way to know is, look at the fruits. Peter here says, the fruits of salvation, if you are truly penitent, is repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit. We should pay attention. So we're doing response one. Oh, praise the Lord who delivers your soul from death. Did I sing that too high? Yep. All right, sing that with me. Uh, we'll do unison with the piano once, and then you'll play your harmony on the second one. Oh. All right, let's begin. Oh, praise the Lord who delivers your soul from death. All right, one more time. Oh, 
I love the Lord who has heard my voice and my supplications and has inclined his ear to me whenever I called. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the people. When I was brought low, the Lord saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I kept my faith even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my consternation, all humans are a vain hope. Oh, praise the Lord who delivers your soul from death. What shall I return to the Lord for all of my benefits? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his peoples. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his peoples. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. O praise the Lord who delivers your soul from death. We talked in uh, verse... Three, it says, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Who remembers what Sheol is? It's the realm of the dead. Thank you, Joseph. If you've read ancient Greek uh, mythology, their place of the dead was called Hades. And in the New Testament, uh, Hades is referred to once because it's written in Greek. But the ancient Hebrew, the word for their storing place of the dead, the realm of the dead, is Sheol. And so whenever it says, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me, he's saying, I felt death's presence in my life. I felt the reality of death. And there are a lot of people, anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? That book is an awareness that we're all going to die and there is seemingly no point in life and death because there was not an awareness of Christ Jesus. There was just this irrational hope that God would provide for him. Now, so I've always read Ecclesiastes is this is a portrait of what life is like without Jesus. And I've known a lot of people who don't believe in God. And there are ones who just don't think about it. And then there are ones who do. And we live in the midst of this untoward generation. You, you remember in that last reading in Acts, you know, Peter is saying, be saved from this untoward. It's a crooked and corrupt generation. That's the, the notion there. We live in the midst of a world that is miserable outside of Christ Jesus. We have a God-shaped hole that no one can fill except for God. We have a need 
uh, a hunger and yearning in our lives, Susanna, that can only be filled by Christ Jesus. And so that's what uh, happens. But the world doesn't want Christ Jesus, and so they are miserable. We have, in our culture, we have turned to everything but Jesus, and we just so happen to have the most anxious and depressed culture this world has ever seen. There is a direct correlation there, folks. It's not, oh, gee, we put all of our trust in uh, money and sex and drugs and pleasure and leisure and uh, all kinds of things, and we don't really think or talk about Jesus much, and man, why are we so depressed all the time? Gee, you don't have to be a genius to see it. Death, you know, we live in a culture that, oh my gosh, anytime someone dies, we just can't handle it. We just can't even talk about it. We only talk about it when we absolutely have to, whenever it was a close relation, and then we just try and put it behind us and not even think about it anymore because it scares us to death because, to death, anyway, it scares us so bad because we haven't reckoned with the reality that we have these mortal bodies and we're all going to die. The Bible, what the Bible does is it, here in this psalm, it causes us to think about it right up front. The snares of death surrounded me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered in distress and anguish, and I called on the name of the Lord. I beseech you, save my life. And let's be clear, do we have a God who saves our lives? Absolutely. Now, does that mean that our bodies never die? No. It just means that our God has defeated death, stands on the other side of death, will raise us from the dead to eternal life, and it's going to be more glorious than anything the world can even hope for. Our job as Christians is not to live as worldlians who have no hope. Our job is to live and die as people who have hope. And that hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, lives and reigns for us, sits at the right hand of God the Father, will raise us imperishable, who has prepared a place for us in his kingdom. God has been faithful. And that will be revealed on the last day for all eyes to see. But the question is, are we living the transformed lives right now that God wants to see? And for too many people who say they love Jesus, the answer is no. Let's go to our third reading. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 12. Let's attend upon God's word as our next reader comes forward. Today's third reading, if I can find it. Today's third reading comes from the first letter of Peter, the chapter verse 13 through the second, the first chapter verse 13 through the second chapter verse 10, which you can find on page 1706 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, 
but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up with a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is the word of the Lord. There were two sections I wanted to highlight. This is, there's way too much in this for us to preach on it today. I did preach through 1 Peter a few months ago. Had a great time. I'd like to think y'all enjoyed it too. If you weren't here for that, the church has a podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can go back in time and hear those sermons Um, I I find this stuff riveting. If you didn't understand parts of it, you should take time to make sure you understand. This is a beautiful web tapestry weaved together. One of the things it focuses on is um, the nature of the church in this. This is written to a church by Peter, the the first among 12 equal apostles. uh, He's writing about the church, and he describes us in a certain way. He says, y'all are uh, lively stones. You're built up into a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood, and your job is to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. So you and I, as we gather together, I'm not the priest up here doing the holy song and dance. We are the priesthood gathered together offering sacrifices to God. That's what we're doing. And then again in verse 9, but y'all are a chosen generation. So remember, Peter warned to come out of a crooked, untoward generation. He says, us, we the church, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royal means kings and queens, right? We're different from the world. We're not as worldly, worldlyans. We are born again into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. 
I love that so much. There are a lot of people who hear that and go, I'm not peculiar. Yes, you are. Yeah, you are. We're a bunch of weirdos, guys. The world looks at, they did not like Jesus. They thought he was weird. Anyone who bears the marks of Christ Jesus in this life is going to be received as strange. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. They didn't kill Jesus because they loved him so much. They just found him oh so charming. We are called to live collectively as Jesus did. And that's what this is all about. Whenever we looked at our psalm a minute ago, it says, what am I going to do to thank God for all of his mercies to me? And the answer was, I'm going to get together with the salvation people and offer sacrifices to God. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. I don't know if you remember that part. But it's talking about how when you are in Christ Jesus, you want to gather with other people who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a miraculous thing that happens when you do that. It talked about having unfeigned love for the brethren in here, having the same love for Christ Jesus that he had for us. When you earnestly engage the church, when your commitment to Christ Jesus is matched with obedience to his word, the strangest thing happens. You enter into relationship with a bunch of seemingly random people, and one day, even though you don't like all of them, you love them. And that happened to me. And it's been weird. There were people when I first came here I didn't like or love. And then after a bit, I didn't like them, but I learned to love them. And then after a bit, I even liked them. God changed my heart. And I know there were other people like that with me as well who really didn't like me at first, but then God worked on their heart, and all of a sudden they loved me. And then all of a sudden one day they actually laughed at one of my jokes that are terrible jokes. But God worked on their heart, and, and there's been grace in the body. And that's when you know you're part of a true church where people genuinely learn to like and love one another and bear with one another. And boy, some people like me are really a bitter pill, and it takes a lot of work to learn to like and to love me. But uh, we're doing it. We're doing it. We need to move on, but I wanted to meditate upon if we're going to be Christ people and we want to see that transformation in our lives, how is it that I need to have more love for my brothers and sisters? All right, you can be seated for our last reading. And I'm not going to preach on it. I'm just going to read it. But the things I want, the, the themes I want you to notice as we go through that we've already established is how is it that humans are called to be the church in response to the truth of Christ Jesus? This is the story, the walk to Emmaus that we're about to hear. When we're following Jesus, is that primarily something we're doing separate off alone as a private faith, or is it something that drives us into connection with others? And then secondly, I ask this question of people today are very sensitive. Can they receive the gospel without being sensitive? Here at this point, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to personally insult these guys, and they're going to keep listening and even ask him to dinner afterwards. I want us meditating on how can I be a better member of the body of Christ, and how can I take offense less and listen and obey more? All right, so that's the last. So we're just going to do the reading now. It's Luke chapter 24, verses 13 35. You can find it on page 1482 of your Pew Bibles. Luke 24, 13 through 35. Listen again to the Word of God. So. This is after Jesus has been killed. 
Okay, this is on the third day, Sunday. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. That means they didn't recognize him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are said? That just means, what are y'all talking about? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. Remember, a sepulcher is a grave. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O oh, fools. You think that was a, a nice thing to say back then? No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was, bad. It was mean. O oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Nowadays people would hear that and go, how dare you? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, said Jesus? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further away, uh, further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. <laughs> I love that so much. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour. And returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how it was known of them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of the Lord. All right, friends, do you believe what we've read? I, like, I, sound, I found this saying, I, I used to belong to liberal circles. We made fun of these fundamentalists, and they said, it's just like, the Bible says it, I believe it, that ends it. Oh, and then I heard that, and I was like, mm, that's a good way to be the, with the Scriptures. And that's how I am with the Scripture. The Scripture says it, I believe it, that ends it. We've had four readings today talking about God's power over death, how we're called to be the church, how we're called not to take offense, 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn.